just how guilty is guilty? We're back in Romans chapter 3 today as we continue with our series, Guilty as Charged. This is Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. We'd invite you to join us for today's broadcast. The Ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Welcome to the program. Our time together today will return us back to Romans chapter 3 once again. We're going through Romans chapter 3 with a fine tooth comb examining every aspect of humanity so that we are convinced as we walk away from this passage that we are all indeed guilty. None can escape. For the details, here's Pastor Steve Converse with today's broadcast. Philippians chapter 2, you know, this kind of just puts it in perspective. Lest you sit there in your religiosity and say, well, that that may be other people, but no, 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 I I always seek the Lord, I always. Well, look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 21. Verse 21. He's kind of letting him know that I don't have anybody here to, to... genuinely concerned for their welfare, he says in verse 20. And then he says this, and he's speaking of believers. He says, for they all, what? Seek God. Oh, no, it doesn't say that, does it? Oops. It says they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Wow. What a statement. What's that mean? Everybody's after their own goodies, their own stuff. Not the stuff that Jesus Christ wants them to be after. Their own agenda, their own schedule, their own priorities. Not what the Lord has said, hey, here's what I want you to be about. See, this is where the radicalness of Christianity has kind of worn off over the years. You know, in Jesus' time when the disciples and the apostles were teaching, the new church was given birth. I mean, when you came to Christ, if, if you were Gentile or Jew, basically everybody disowned you. Especially if you're Jewish. I mean, you were a social outcast if you came to Christ, if you followed the way, they used to call it. And there was a cost involved. You know, you think of some of these people over in Iraq and Syria who are believers, born-again believers. All they have to do is just say, hey, you know, all is great or whatever. I mean, you could rationalize. Well, God knows my heart. I don't really mean it, but I'm not going to watch my family get slaughtered. But they don't. They take a stand, even if it means death. They're not seeking their own interests, beloved. They're seeking those of Christ Jesus. That's what we have to be kind of brought back to that radical belief system that is what the church is all about. I mean, what would your attitude be if someone came in here from the government and said, you know what, if you come here next week, you'll be arrested and thrown in prison? Would I see you here next week? Better question, would you see me here next week? (laughs) You know, we think of those things and we think, wow, okay, well, I'm sure, yeah, I pray that God would give me the grace and the strength to do what would glorify him in that situation, but I can't sit here and tell you, oh yeah, that'd be a no-brainer, that'd be no problem. I don't know. It's a lot to think about. A lot to think about. Think of Pastor Zaid over there in prison. Two years now. 
All he's got to do is say a couple words, maybe make a little apology and renounce his faith and move on. Come on. I'm sure God would forgive him for that. He forgave Peter, right? It'd be easy to rationalize that. And it's for the greater good. But I think Pastor Zaid is not there for his own interests. He's there for those of Jesus Christ. And he knows what the right thing to do is. We need to be reminded of that. I know our lives are busy. I know we get caught up in things. I know that we're not always perfect. We fall in sin. We do all sorts of things. We can come up with a myriad of examples to say, well, reasons why we shouldn't be following the interests of Jesus Christ. But in the end, they're all wash, Because God tells us to do that, and he wouldn't tell us to do something if we couldn't do it. See, that's just our default position. Our default position is to sink our own interests. It doesn't matter what, what, what it is, what it's concerning. Even in our own families sometimes. I mean, sometimes my wife will, will ask me a question. And I'll say, why are you asking me this? <laughs> no reason. <laughs> just, but I'm, I'm suspect, you know. Is there a catch here? What's going on, you know? Why? Because I'm interested in my own interests. I'm thinking, wait, she's trying to get her way and she's trying to get a way around this. To, what's she doing? And I'm sure she thinks the same thing of me at times. That's the way relationships are. But it says in Philippians, they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. You take that back to the psalm. It says, I've always set the Lord before me. That's what it means to seek the Lord. You set the Lord before you every day. You get out of bed. You set the Lord before you. God, help me do what honors you today. Help me to forget about myself. Help me to forget about my needs and my wants and all that and, and do what you have asked me to do. The problem is where our minds are so cluttered with all this other garbage, we couldn't see what the Lord wants us to do if he hit us in the face with it. There's a little poem, and it speaks of seeking your own interests. It says this. Ladies, you'll like this. I had a little tea party this afternoon at three. It was very small, three guests in all, just I, myself, and me. Myself ate up all the sandwiches, and I drank up all the tea. It was also I who ate the pie and passed the cake to me. So many times, beloved, that's how we live our lives. It's all about us. We have to focus, refocus. Paul is saying in Romans, no one seeks God. No one seeks the Lord continuously. No one is righteous. I shared that with a Lord guy one time. He said, I've been seeking God all my life and I haven't found him. <laughs> that's, that's exactly my point. You've, you've proved my point. You're not seeking God. You're seeking what you think is God. You're seeking religion. You're, you're seeking church membership. You're seeking whatever. Morality. Those things will not get you to God. Those things will take you away from God. We like to disguise our intentions of running away from God with religiosity so that it looks good. But when you get right down to the matter and you look at your own heart, what God wants us to do is to bring everything to him. Everything. A full commitment. This isn't for the faint of heart. 
Christianity isn't some happy-go-lucky Jesus trail that, you know, you pick the flowers as you trip, you know, skip down the trail. That's not what Christianity is about. And there's going to come a day and time, I think, even in America, where, you know what, we're going to have to own up to the fact that there's going to be persecution involved with our faith, with our personal faith. The unfortunate thing is if somebody talks about us at the water cooler, we think that's persecution. (laughs) Jeez. I mean, we're so far off the mark. And so... That kind of covers the sinful heart. The moral nature, there's none righteous. The sinful mind, there's none that understands. And then lastly, the captive will. There's none that seeks for God. Not one. That's why, I mean, I understand their motives. I just question the biblical nature of what they're trying to do when churches try to dumb down a service to appeal to those who in their mind are seeking God. (laughs) So you dumb everything down. You don't sing any hymns because they could be offensive to somebody or hard to sing or whatever. And and you never mention the word sin. You never, you know, mention the blood of Christ or whatever. You don't want to offend someone. I mean, when you get to that point in a church, you're really not running toward God. You're running away. You're doing exactly the opposite of what God has called you to do. And it's all built on the premise that, well, we assure people seek God. No, they don't. They run from him. None seeks God. The only reason that you're here this morning is because God wanted you here. I don't know what the condition of your heart is this morning. Maybe you hate God. Maybe you're trying to run away from God. You're not sitting in a good place if you're trying to run away from God because you're hearing God's truth. And the more you hear of God's truth, what happens is the more accountable you will be. The next thing I want us to look at, just in closing here this morning, is a sinful character. In verse 12, because he says, None is righteous, none understands, no one seeks God. But then he says, All have turned aside. All have turned aside. Sometimes when God says something once, we should pay attention, right? When he says something twice, we might want to pay a little more. When he says it the third time, I think we might want to turn our ears up in volume and say, wait a minute, what's going on here? Why does God keep on repeating himself? I mean, if you look at, at Psalm 14, uh, 14, 12, 14, 2, or 14, 3, excuse me, 14, 3, 2, and 3, he says, all have turned aside. That's what he says there. Psalm 53, 3, he says, everyone has turned away. And then here in Romans, he says, all have turned away. You would think by the third time we should say, okay, I think God means something here by these words. What does this mean? All have turned aside. Because he wants us to get the point. It's kind of like when your little boy or your girl is doing something wrong and you, you tell her no once, you tell her twice, and you th- okay, well, wait a minute. Okay, this is turning into a game for them. You know, unless there's consequences, nothing's going to happen. Well, what he says here is, all have turned away. And this is expressed in just these, these two words in the Greek. It means basically all, and a verb which means to deviate, to wander, to depart from the correct way. Have you ever been on a trip? Maybe you had your GPS programmed. 
And you thought, you know, we're a little hungry. We want to get off the freeway and get something to eat. You know, and you go to get off, you know, turn back. You know, you turn, go around. You know, and start shouting commands at you from the dashboard. You know, finally you're like, turn off, you know. Trying to take a break here. We want to, we want to deviate from the path. Well, that's what people do in life. It says they deviate. And you say, well, what's the right way? Well, the right way is outlined for us in the opening chapter of Romans. It's to recognize God's eternal power, his divine nature, and then to glorify, thank, worship, and serve him. That's what he says. That's the way we should be on. But that's exactly the way that we have turned away from. We've deviated from it. Instead of seeking God and worshiping him and in, in thankful service, we have suppressed the truth about him. We've gone our own way, the Bible says. We've even invented false gods to take true God's place. And we find fulfillment in our own intellect, in our own morality. And you notice here, verse 12, it doesn't say some have, does it? It says all. All means all. That's what it means. It means every single one. One time I was eating a bag of chips. And I don't know if it was my wife or my daughter, somebody asked me, are they all gone? Are there any left for me? And I thought, that's kind of a weird way to say something because if they're all gone, then the answer is no, there's none left for you. You know? And and, and see, here he's saying all means all. All have turned aside. One commentator put put it this way, as respects well-doing, there is not one. As respects evil-doing, there is not one exception. That's what we need to be real-minded of. We've all gone our own way. And it's a way that seems right unto men, the Bible says. There's a way that seems right in our own logic, but at times we need to be shaken a little bit and realize, wow, this, this looks good, but it's really not. So he says, all have turned aside. They're going in the wrong direction. And then he says the second thing, verse 12, together, in other words, they're all going down the same path together. It's funny how that works. If you've ever been in a crowd and someone does, starts doing something and all of a sudden everybody starts doing it. It's like, what are they doing? Remember, we were at a, a, a men's conference one time and, and it's kind of awkward. They had everybody stand up and... I forget what it was, but I just didn't feel, I I wasn't feeling it, okay? And I'm looking around, and all these guys are, you know, doing this thing they asked them to do. I can't remember what it was, but I just didn't feel comfortable doing it. And I thought, wow, we're like a bunch of just she, you know, yeah, okay, we'll all do this, we'll all do, you know, he could have said, stand on your head, and I think half the crowd would have. You know, that's, that's our mentality, that's how we are. Young people, that's why the Bible says, be careful the crowd you hang around with, Right? Bad company corrupts what? Good morals. We already know we don't have any morality, so we're, we're in trouble as it is. So you're going to get really, really corrupt if you don't hang around the right people. So he said, we've turned aside. And then he says, and this is a hard one, together they have become, look at that word, worthless. Worthless. Word means corrupt. It means useless. It has the idea that it's something that has no use at all anymore. One time maybe it did, but it doesn't anymore. 
I think of Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, where Jesus says, If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown and trampled underfoot of men. I mean, what do you do with something that's useless? What do you do with something that's corrupt? You throw it out and you start over. I mean, what if I invited you over for breakfast on Saturday morning and you get there and, and you see all the... I said, hey, I'm going to make you an omelet. And got all the you know, ham and the cheese and, and the uh, onions and peppers, whatever you like in your omelet. You know, I got all the goodies there. And um, tell me what you want in it. And I make the, the omelet for you and we sit down and kind of smelling something. I said, what's that smell? Oh, it's, it's no big deal. I didn't have enough eggs because one of them was rotten. But I just kind of threw it in anyway. I figured you know, it's only one out of six. So I'm sure it'd be fine. No, you would not eat that omelet. You would say, no, this is corrupt. This is useless. Even though most of it was good. You made it bad because of what you mixed in with it. If you ever had coffee and you take the half and half and you pour it in there and all of a sudden you see clumps of stuff floating on top, you know it's not good, right? I remember down at the coffee shop one morning, I ordered a cup of coffee and got my half and half and poured it in there. And I said, hey, this is, sorry, I'm not drinking this. Oh, no, it just stirred up. I said, I'm not stirring it up. It's curdled. It's bad. Get a new half and half out of the fridge. Okay. We did this four times. They were all bad. Kept on opening up new things. I said, I'm sorry, but you know, I'll take a pass on the coffee this morning. Um, that's the idea here. That together they have become worthless. I mean, what do you, what do, you do with something that's worthless? You throw it out. And I think that that's what we need to be reminded of. That's what we are. All of us are. We're all in this together. And then the last thing there, he says, no one, what? Does good. Oh, no one does good. Not one. No. Well, there's some people that do good. That's really relative goodness, isn't it? I want to show you a couple pictures, and hopefully you get this idea. I don't know if you put them up there yet or not. This was, these are pictures we took when we were over in Dubai. You look at those buildings. These are several thousand feet tall buildings. Go to the next one. This is them building them. You see the, the skyline back there. It's just amazing. I mean, the height of these things is, is overwhelming. Go to the next one. This is up on a building called the Burj Khalifa. We were going up, and I took this shot, and I thought, wow, you can still see the stature of these buildings. They're huge. Go up one more. Still kind of hanging in there seeing, wow, you, know, you see the shadows. Go up one more. You look down. When you're on top, and some of these buildings over here at the top are huge buildings, but you know what? You would never know it. Why? It's all about your perspective. When we were on the ground looking up, I thought, man, you know, huge, tall buildings. And then when you get up there and you look down or when you're flying across the country in an airplane, that's a good example, right? When you fly over San Francisco... Everything just looks like little squares. But when you're walking down through downtown San Francisco and you look at the Transamerica building, you're going, wow, that's a building. But from 25, 30,000 feet, it's nothing. It's perspective. 
So when we're here on earth and we're looking at each other and we're comparing our goodness, you know, well, that person's better than this person's, you know, that person's Mother Teresa, this guy's Osama bin Laden. There's obviously somebody's better than the other, but that's not God's perspective. That's not the perspective that Paul is writing from. He's saying, I'm telling you what the word of God says. I'm writing from God's perspective that nobody's good. They're all bad. (laughs) Not even one, he says in verse 12. We don't count goodness the way God counts goodness. We look at the outside. God looks at the heart. And he sees our hearts are desperately wicked. That's why God has allowed us to have a Savior. That's why God had to provide a way out, right? I mean, there's, there's nothing that can take away our sin except for the sacrifice of Christ. We sing a hymn once in a while, Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than what? All our sin. See, that's the kind of grace that you need. Because God is pursuing you. He's, he's, he, he's, 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 he wants you to come to Him. He's sought us out. He's given us understanding. He's given us a righteousness that's not our own. It's all available to us through Christ. All we have to do is take it. Father, we thank You this morning for Your Word. Lord, I, these verses are just... Uh, They're simple. They're simple phrases, and yet the consequences of what they say are so devastating, it's really hard to get through them. That no one's righteous, no one understands, no one seeks God, everybody's turned aside, there's no one that does good, we've all become worthless. And Lord, that really accentuates our need of a Savior. We need a righteousness that's not our own. That's why... Your word says that if we come unto you, that you'll take our burden, you'll take our sin. That your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. Why? Because after you come to Christ, it's not a matter of trying to make yourself holy. It's not a matter of trying to earn your salvation. It's not a matter of trying to make yourself look good. You know you're not. That's why you've come to Christ. And what a blessing it is to be taken up by that grace, have our heart transformed. And Lord, that's available to each one that's here this morning. You just cry out to God, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I understand I'm I'm not perfect. Therefore, I'm a sinner and I need salvation. And I pray, Lord, that you would make yourself known to me in a real way, through your word, through your people. Draw me by your Holy Spirit. Change me into what you desire me to be. That's a prayer God will answer. As we leave this place as believers, I pray that we will keep in mind that we need to share this good news of the gospel with those who have yet to hear it, anticipating that you'll use us to draw all men to yourself. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, you have been listening to Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. And it's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. 
We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area, and if not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade 5. If you'd like to encourage us here at the Graceful Truth Program, give us a call. You can call us at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City at 650-366-9923. Questions, comments about the broadcast, maybe you'd like a copy on CD. Well, get a hold of us at 650-366-9923. We also rely upon our listeners as we continue the ministry. It is in part through your prayerful support that we're able to continue the ministry here on KFAX. So would you consider that as you contact us? Again, 650-366-9923. On the web, gracefultruth.org. And now, to close out our time together today, once again, our teacher and pastor. Here's Pastor Steve Converse. Thanks, Andy. I'd like to invite our listeners to our 2014 Fall Israel and Bible Prophecy Conference right here at Grace Bible Church, Redwood City. It will be held on November 7th, 8th, and 9th. That's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, November 7th, 8th, and 9th, right here at Grace Bible Church, Redwood City. This year, our conference speaker will be Dr. David Hawking. Dr. Hawking brings great insight and years of teaching experience when it comes to Bible prophecy, the nation of Israel, and how it all fits together into our current events. So please make sure you set aside November 7th, 8th, and 9th for our 2014 Fall Israel and Bible Prophecy Conference featuring Dr. David Hawking, right here at Grace Bible Church, Redwood City. Our conference kicks off at 7 p.m. on Friday, November 7th. The conference is free, and there are flyers that are available for download at gracebibleonline.org. We hope to see you there. Thank you, Steve. And again, friend, we'd love to hear from you. So call us today, 650-366-9923, or write to us, 2225 Euclid Avenue, Redwood City, 94061 is our zip code. Until next time, God bless. God bless.